0: You're listening to According to Sam, episode 146. Oh, hello, hello. Welcome to According to Sam. This is episode 146, folks. I hope you had a great Christmas, winter solstice, Hanukkah, Um, I hope you have a great new year. This is a special podcast that I've put together, compilation. Um, I hope you enjoyed it, and I will see you guys in 2023. Thanks again for listening.
1: At the bedrock of our politics will be a total allegiance to the United States of America. And through our loyalty to our country, we will rediscover our loyalty to each other. When you open your heart to patriotism, there is no room for prejudice. The Bible tells us how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. We must speak our minds openly, debate our disagreements honestly, but always pursue solidarity when america is united america is totally unstoppable
0: well let's start with russiagate so russiagate uh talks about what we have been talking about in the earlier part of this podcast uh the framing of donald trump and russia saying that russia uh, meddled in in the 2016 election and Trump uh, assisted was the claim that they made before Mueller uh, came out with his report. But Remember not only Mueller and his report says that Trump, uh, did not assist with Russia in, uh, their meddling in the 2016 election. You had the Senate Intelligence Committee come out and say that no, uh, conspiracy with Trump and Russia. You had the House Intelligence Committee come out and say that, um, you had a foreign intelligence investigation that, uh, basically said that, uh, prior to Mueller saying that. So four different investigations, no, Uh, no conspiracy to work with Russia to uh, uh to change the results of the 2016 real, uh, election. I don't even believe that Russia meddled in the uh, manner that we are told. Perhaps they did. Who who knows? But as far as what we're being told, I believe it's an entire frame job in itself. But that whole Russia narrative meddling in the 2016 election uh with the aid of donald trump or without the aid of donald trump that is the russiagate scandal now the spy gate scandal is the scandal of using that russiagate uh, narrative uh, using that to spy on the campaign of donald trump and even not only the campaign, uh, the early months of his administration to spy on his transition team, to spy on his, uh, the, on his administration in those early months, to spy on his campaign throughout the campaign, to use Russiagate, to spy, to use Russiagate falsely, to make this, these false claims pertaining to Russiagate to get FISA warrants and uh, even beyond FISA warrants to spy on the president, Spygate.
1: For as the Bible teaches us, there is no greater act of love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Ryan laid down his life for his friends, for his country, and for our freedom. And we will never forget Ryan.
2: truly extraordinary moment, Corinna Owens uh, there, uh, William Ryan Owens uh, was her, her husband. Uh, Van, you were saying while, while you were watching
3: that about the significance of that moment. He became president of the United States in that moment, period. There are a lot of people who have a lot of reason to be frustrated with him, to be fearful of him, to be mad at him. But that was one of the most extraordinary moments you have ever seen in American politics, period. And he did something extraordinary. And for people who have been hoping that he would become unifying, hoping that he might find some way to become presidential, they should be happy with that moment. For people who have been hoping that maybe he would remain a divisive cartoon, which he often finds a way to do, they should begin to become a little bit worried tonight because that thing you just saw him do. If he finds a way to do that over and over again,
0: he'll get over 50%. <laughs> he'll, he'll be over 50% in approval easy. He'll spike up to where Chris Cuomo says he's never spiked to. He will rally people around him. He will unify the country if he is able to do what he did in this speech. Tonight is what Van Jones is saying. They jumped on him. I tell you what, after Van Jones said this on CNN, I think he came back and he had to, you know, lay himself prostrate in front of the liberal uh, elite on Twitter and say, I'm so sorry that I said nice things about Donald Trump. <laughs> uh, they came at him. There's still a lot of people still pissed off because he said something nice about Donald Trump, something real about this State of the Union speech that the president had just given where he is trying everything in his power to bring the country together. Well, two days after that state of the union speech, two days, everyone's talking about the speech and how good it was and how presidential uh, Donald Trump was and, You know, you know, maybe and this is early on. This is, you know, weeks into his presidency. Maybe it's not going to be so bad. You know, maybe he can be a good president. Two days after that speech, this happened.
4: We have that big story about Attorney General Jeff Sessions. There are calls this morning for him to resign, George. Or, at minimum, recuse himself from that investigation in Russia's interference with our election after reports overnight that he had at least two meetings with the Russian ambassador, meetings that he did not disclose when asked during his confirmation hearing. Our senior justice correspondent, Pierre Thomas, tracking this breaking story from Washington. Good morning, Pierre.
5: Good morning, George. That's right. Some Democrats are calling on Sessions to resign after reports that he met with the Russian ambassador before the election and did not tell Congress during his confirmation hearings.
6: 24 hours. We have another phony scandal. And Attorney General Jeff Sessions is now recusing himself from any investigation that might involve Russia and the Trump campaign. Now, what was Jeff Sessions' offense? Did he agree to give 20% of America's uranium to the Russians? No. Did he whisper in Medvedev's ear that uh, after the election, you know, we'll be able to work things out and so forth like Obama did? No. Nope. Well, what did he do? He didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. And 16 Republicans in the House and Senate insisted that he recuse himself. Well, what's the allegation? Well, the allegation is he wasn't forthright with Senator Al Franken. Forthright about what? About having one chance meeting with the Russian ambassador and then having one meeting in his Senate office as a senator with the Russian ambassador. Well, why would he want to cover that up? Exactly. They said he never had any discussions about the campaign and so forth. The a senator, the a senator, he met with the Russian ambassador in September, and he says he didn't discuss the campaign. What if he had discussed the campaign? It depends on what he would have said about the campaign. So what does he have exactly to cover up in the chance meeting in the in the actual meeting in his Senate office? with the Russian ambassador. What's there to cover up? What is there to cover up? So now, any meetings that occurred with the Russian ambassador or conversations with the Russian ambassador that anybody in the Trump orbit may have had during the course of the campaign is a scandal. That's where we are. There's a bigger scandal here, folks. And this is what I want to walk you through again. There is a much bigger scandal here. We have a prior administration. Barack Obama and his surrogates, who were supporting Hillary Clinton and their party, the Democrat Party, who were using the instrumentalities of the federal government, intelligence activities, to surveil Members of the Trump campaign and to put that information out in the public. Those are police state tactics. Nothing General Flynn did, nothing General Sessions has done, are even in the same category as that. All right, February 15th. February 15th, just a few weeks ago. Here's what I said on the show. Cut one, go. Where did the orders come from to intercept these phone calls, to record these phone calls? How many more phone calls involving Michael Flynn and other would-be administration officials were intercepted and recorded? Were the President of the United States, the now President of the United States, Donald Trump, were his phone calls intercepted and recorded? I am speaking as somebody who is chief of staff to an attorney general. I am telling you, it is not that simple to get authorization from the FISA court. It's not that simple to be tapping into phone calls or recording phone calls, particularly of private citizens. And so the question is, how many of Michael Flynn's phone calls to various foreign leaders were intercepted by the Obama administration and recorded by the Obama administration. How many phone calls by Donald Trump, if any, have been intercepted by the Obama administration and recorded by the Obama administration? And all the other transition officials involved in foreign policy and national security and defense policy. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the real scandal. My question to you is this, ladies and gentlemen, I'm live now. Today's reporting on Sessions, having a chance meeting with the ambassador this summer of Russia and an actual meeting in his Senate office in September. Where did that information come from?
7: Nancy Pelosi was on with Jimmy Kimmel. Watch this. This was last night. When we go down this path, we have to be ready and it has to be clear to the American people. And we have to hope that it will be clear... To uh, to the Republicans in this United States, and so, uh, that's Republic funny. Deserves to know the truth, yes, the facts. But let's just put it this way: uh, th- we understand our oath of office to support and defend the Constitution of the United States.
0: Wait, wait, wait. Well, let's look at that oath of office. I, I happen to have it right here. <laughs> the oath of office says, "I do solemnly swear or affirm." That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Now, listen to what Nancy Pelosi says. She says that the American people deserve to know the truth. <laughs> and there's another investigation that's going on. The president has authorized the attorney general to do a deep dive into uh, what the origins of the investigation were and declassify information, and Democrats are running scared. They uh, don't want to know the truth about that. They want to know the truth about everything uh, having to do with Trump to get Trump, but when it comes to stuff about uh, FISA abuse and uh, abuses of uh, our intelligence uh, community, no, we don't want to uh, uh, uncover that. We don't want to look at the domestic side we only want to look at the foreign side we only want to talk about russia but we don't want to talk about what the intelligence agencies uh, uh did and what uh a, one of the campaigns uh did to basically spy on the camp on the opposition campaign we don't want to look at that We don't want to look at that. But the American people deserve to know the truth. Only about the foreign part that we made up. Only about the Russians. But this domestic, and this is the oath that she takes, that she is making reference to right here. Defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Let's talk about the domestic part.
1: So we want to be very transparent. So as you know, I declassified everything, everything they want. I put it under the auspices of the Attorney General. He's going to be in charge of it. He's a uh, great gentleman and a highly respected man. So everything that they need is declassified, and they'll be able to see how this uh, hoax, how the hoax or witch hunt started and why it started. Uh, it was a, an attempted coup or an attempted takedown of the President of the United States. It should never, ever happen to anybody else. So it's very important. Now, people have been asking me to declassify for a long period of time. I've decided to do it. And
7: you're going to learn a lot. President Trump is pushing harder to investigate the investigators who started the Russia probe. He put out a memo last night giving sweeping new power to his attorney general, who is carrying out his repeated request for an investigation. Paula Reed is at the White House with more on this story. Paula, good morning to you.
8: Good morning, Gail.
9: Attorney General William Barr has already demonstrated his willingness to do the president's political bidding, and now he will have the unprecedented authority to select information to declassify, and that gives him the power to control the narrative around the origins of the Russia investigation.
0: Yeah, they're really worried about the narrative. This is all Nonsense.
9: House Judiciary Uh, Committee uh, Chairman Jerry Nadler slammed the investigation uh, uh, into the origins of
0: the Russia probe.
3: There is no basis whatsoever to believe that anybody in the intelligence community did anything uh, wrong in terms of. They
0: don't want to investigate. They don't want to investigate the domestic abuses. Let's look at it. Let's let's look. Why? I mean, why should we take your word for it, Nadler? This is what Attorney General Barr said a few weeks ago in uh, regards to this.
10: Both the genesis and the conduct of intelligence activities directed uh, at the, the Trump campaign during 2016, uh, and uh, a lot has already been inve- a lot of this has already been investigated, and a substantial portion of it has been investigated and is being investigated by uh, the Office of uh, Inspector General at the Department. Uh, but, one of the things I want to do is pull together all the information from the various investigations that have gone on, including on the hill uh, and in the department, and uh, see if there are any remaining questions uh, to be addressed
7: and Can you share with us why you feel a need to do that
10: well uh, you know for the same well for the same reason we 're worried about foreign uh, influence in elections. We want to make sure that uh, during an election, I think spying on a political campaign is a big deal. It's a big deal. Uh, generation I grew up in, which was the Vietnam War a period, you know, people were all concerned about spying on uh, sure. anti-war people and so forth by the government, and there were a lot of rules put in place to make sure that there's an adequate basis before before our law enforcement agencies get involved in pol- you know political uh, surveillance. I'm not suggesting that uh, those rules were violated, but I think it's important to look at that. And I'm not just I'm not talking about the FBI uh, necessarily, but intelligence agencies more broadly.
11: So you're not
0: key right there. I'm not talking about the FBI only, but intelligence agencies more broadly. Getting ready to explain to you what he's talking about there when he says intelligence agencies more broadly. He's not even only talking about American intelligence agencies. He's talking, when he says intelligence agencies more broadly, he's also talking about MI6 and Australian intelligence and Italian intelligence, as I will explain.
7: Suggesting, though, that spying occurred.
0: I don't. Uh, well, uh,
10: I guess you could. I, I think there was a spying did occur. Yes, I think spying did occur.
0: Spying absolutely occurred. Well, let me The question
10: um, is whether it was predicated, adequately predicated. And
0: that's the key part. People made such a huge deal out of out of Barr saying that he thought that spying occurred and that he used the term spying for an investigation and all this stuff. How can you say spying? But. They missed that last part where he says, you know, it's not the spying. We know the spying happened. We want to know if it was properly predicated at this at this time. All the things that I just uh, played for you in that uh, clip uh, about going to a FISA court. Uh, presenting uh, secret detailed information that uh, shows that you have a probable cause to engage in this spying. Those are the proper uh, predicates for uh, legally surveilling or spying on American citizens. And the attorney general says we know that spying occurred. The only question is if it is properly predicated. Is the information that they gave to the judge was that valid information? And if it wasn't valid, did they know that it wasn't valid? And when did they know that it was valid? Wasn't valid because they not only got a FISA warrant on the president, they got three different renewals and each time that they renewed it, they had to present evidence of probable cause. How was it predicated is the, is the question, not if the spying occurred. Well,
12: let me.
10: But the um, question is whether it was predicated, adequately predicated. And I'm not suggesting it wasn't adequately predicated, but I'd need to explore that.
0: There was a Pfizer warrant issued on one person. That person's name is Carter Page. Uh, Carter Page was a. A foreign policy or or, uh, national security advisor on the Trump campaign, Naval Academy uh, graduate. And he had worked as an FBI informant on other cases uh, previously before he started working uh, on the Trump campaign. The FISA warrant was uh, issued on Carter Page and Carter Page only. But the way this works, if you remember uh, what I told you in episode uh, 33, when I played the clip on how the FISA court. Works. Um, once the FISA warrant is issued on Carter Page, and it was issued initially and in three renewals, four different times that the FISA warrant was uh, issued, in essence. Um, once it's issued on Carter Page, Carter, Carter Page is radioactive. Uh, once he goes into the Trump campaign, anyone that he talks to, anyone that he communicates with, all of their communication gets caught up as well as Carter Page because anyone that he talks to is also uh, is also going to be radioactive because they come in contact with Carter Page. But Carter Page was radioactive. Everyone in uh, Trump orbit, because the Pfizer uh, was issued on Carter Page. Everyone in Trump's orbit uh, was uh, caught up. Now, I also explained to you a little bit in last episode that uh, people who are not included in the warrant, those people have to be masked. That's what the law says: is that that you mass their communications because there's no warrant on them, and then. Uh, you still have their information, but it's mass. And then uh, intelligence professionals can go in and unmask those individuals. Let's use Jeff Sessions for an example, because uh, say Jeff Sessions was caught up in this surveillance, but he's not on the warrant. Uh James Clapper or uh, uh, Comey or Brennan, whoever is in the intelligence community, they can go in and they can unmask the correspondence with uh, Jeff Sessions and find out, you know, who he's been meeting with and all this stuff. I have a clip that I'm going to play right here of uh, Chuck Grassley and a Senate hearing uh, talking to James Clapper and Sally Yates about unmasking. Let's take a listen.
13: I want to discuss uh, unmasking. Uh, Mr. Clapper and Ms. Yates, uh, did either of you ever request the unmasking of Mr. Trump, his associates, or any member of Congress?
1: Um, yes, in, in uh, one case I did. I can, I can specifically uh, recall, but I, I can't discuss it any further than that.
13: You can't? So if I ask you for details, you said you can't discuss that. Is that.
0: Check out what Chuck Grassley's uh, question is. He's like, did you request any unmasking of any of Trump's associates or any members of Congress? He's talking specifically about Jeff Sessions (laughs) there. Did you request any unmasking of any members of Congress? And maybe not, not not talking specifically about Jeff Sessions. He could be talking in general, uh, but I think that he's talking about Jeff Sessions. Uh, did you unmask any of Trump's uh, officials or did you unmask uh, any members of Congress?
13: Did either of you ever request the unmasking of Mr. Trump, his associates, or any member of Congress? No. Um.
1: Yes. In in uh, one case, I did. That I, can, I can specifically uh,
13: recall, but I, I can't discuss it any further than that. You can't? So if I ask you for details, you said you can't discuss that? Is that what you said? Not uh, not here. Not. Okay. Ms. Ye, Ms. Yates, can you answer that question? Did you ever request unmasking of Mr. Trump, his associates, or any member of Congress? No. Uh, question two, did either of you ever review classified documents in which Mr. Trump, his associates, or members of Congress had been unmasked?
0: Ooh, that's a different question. Sally Yates was deputy uh, attorney general, just uh, if you don't know. Uh, so he's, he's talking to the deputy attorney general and director of national intelligence. And he says, did you request any unmasking of Trump's uh, orbit or members of Congress? No, uh, James Clapper says, I did once, but I can't talk about it uh, here. Um, And then he says, well, did you read anything that anyone else (laughs) unmasked, uh, members of Trump's orbit or
13: Congress?
0: (laughs) That's a very interesting question there. Oh, yes.
13: Oh, yes. You have. Can you give us details here? No, I can't. Uh, I can't give you details. Ms. Yates, have you...
0: Yes, I have. And no, I can't give you. You read some too, Miss Yates. You've read some unmasking stuff. Maybe you didn't go in and get the unmasking, but you read it. You know, it was being distributed. Who else read it? Did the Washington Post read it? Did the New York Times read it? Who'd you give it to? Who gave it to you? I have a lot of
13: questions. (laughs) Civil libertarians are generally a little bit suspicious when undercover agents go just to ask questions. And I think we as civil libertarians ought to be suspicious of this. Allay right. our suspicions and then we'll be fine. But, Jeff, I mean, it didn't come out of nowhere. I and mean, George Papadopoulos,
2: according to all the reporting, had already voiced, you know, spoken to an Australian.
0: OK, so notice how he says, according to all of the reporting. Um, What he's talking about, I'm sure you know by now, uh, George uh, Papadopoulos uh, had a conversation with a diplomat from Australia in a London bar. Uh, His name was Alexander Downer and George Papadopoulos uh, supposedly told him that the Russians had dirt on Hillary Clinton. That was the event that kicked off the entire investigation that gave the FBI cause to put and what did Comey call it today, a. Confidential human source into the Trump campaign without him knowing—that was the justification for all of this. Was the Papadopoulos meeting in London?
2: Had already voiced, you know, spoken to an Australian official, which is what got this on the radar of the right uh, Th- the
14: this place. this was a legitimate investigation you don't know I mean, I, 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 well, I mean you 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 have no evidence that it wasn't let's find uh, out there was ample evidence of collusion between russia and the trump campaign
0: so let me explain to you what jeffrey Tubin is doing here Um, He's not saying that there was ample evidence, that there is ample evidence right now in uh, May of 2018. Um, He is saying that back in May of 2016, when this meeting with Papadopoulos supposedly took place and uh, when the investigation began, that there was ample evidence of collusion between Trump and Russia. Two years ago, when Papadopoulos had a conversation in London that there was ample evidence at that time to put a confidential human human informant, a spy, into the Trump campaign to investigate and see what was going on in the middle of this campaign. And that's the other thing, is that, you know, um, it was in the middle of the campaign how could you not if you're investigating a campaign and you're the fbi how could you not run it up the flagpole how could you not tell clapper about it and even it make it to the president this would be serious business okay um but there wasn't ample evidence and uh there's not even ample evidence right now But CNN is running cover, okay, and it's obvious that was Jake. I mean, that was Anderson Cooper right there. I have a little bit of Jake Tapper I'd like you to listen to.
14: What crime are you suggesting might have taken place here? Well, here we
15: see the potential uh, collection of intelligence on the Trump campaign. We also see the misrepresentation of information before the FISA court, which would violate Wood's procedures. That would be something that we would absolutely want to get to the bottom of. And, you know, we've already seen a number of personnel changes at the FBI and Department of Justice that seem to indicate something's not right. When you've got to demote and reassign your head of counterintelligence, when you've got to demote and reassign one of your top lawyers in Lisa Page, when you see Andrew McCabe fired and referred for yeah. criminal process. We see Bruce Orr uh, not disclosing the fact that his own wife was working for Fusion GPS and all of a sudden he goes from being a counter-narcotics uh, professional to working on counterintelligence issues. It just seems like a lot of information that could, that could lead to hopefully some good bipartisan reform of these entities.
14: So I, I wondered if you were going to bring up this issue about what was presented before the FISA court because I don't know how you know that. You're not on the House Intelligence Committee. You haven't seen the underlying intelligence. How do you know that anything improper was done before the FISA court?
15: Well, we have received briefings from the FBI regarding the elements of their application. We've also read the memo from the House Intelligence Committee that the, all, the entire House voted to declassify and the American people have been able to observe. And that memo laid out pretty clearly that the principal piece of evidence, the first piece of evidence laid out was this dossier that was paid for by the no, DNC. No, 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 that memo made a very.
14: That, that memo made it very clear that it was Papadopoulos's...
0: Again, Papadopoulos. Representative Gates says that it was the dossier that uh, launched this thing. And Jake Tapper says, no, no, no. It was the meeting with Papadopoulos that launches it. It's very important. Papadopoulos meeting had to be. Had to be the thing that established the investigation. It has to be, and you'll see why in a moment.
15: Paid for by the no, no, no. no. That memo made it very.
14: That that memo made it very clear that it was Papadopoulos's meeting with the Australian diplomat, in which he acknowledged that he had talked to somebody with Kremlin connections. Uh, about well, dirt on Hillary Clinton, Hillary well, Clinton emails. That was, one, that, that
15: was one element, Jake. but no, no they was said not that the first piece of evidence. The Nunes memo said, said specifically that that
14: was See,
15: the reason that important. the investigation was launched. See, this is very important. This
0: is why was Tapper no, keeps that that challenging him on from
15: this. Peter and is that very important. Launched the investigation, but that didn't lead to the application before the FISA court. Uh, my allegation is that the Woods procedures were not followed before the FISA court. There would not have been uh, any presentation to the FISA court in the absence of that very dossier. That's not, um, Joe. Don't take my word for it that was the testimony of Andrew McCabe.
14: Well, I, I mean, I have talked to people at the Justice Department who say you keep saying this and you don't know what you're talking about because you're not on the House Committee on Intelligence. You haven't seen the underlying those, intelligence. Those very,
15: people, those very people have also briefed members of the House Judiciary Committee. I would point out to you, Jake, that the Judiciary Committee has oversight over the FISA process. That's not exclusively the purview of the Intelligence Committee. Frankly, I wish the Judiciary Committee would be more active in interviewing witnesses regarding the procedures that were followed and the evidence that wasn't presented. These prosecutors before a fisa court did not have a defense attorney in the room they had an obligation to present not only the evidence that was favorable to their position but the evidence that wasn't favorable and they gave no indication that the dnc was involved in paying for this a bombshell
9: report in the new york times revealing yet another piece of intelligence that the fbi had when they began to investigate possible collusion between the trump campaign and russia now at the center of today's report this man george papadopoulos how do you know him He is the Trump campaign aide who has since pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI and is now cooperating with special counsel Robert Mueller. Now, according to The New York Times, Papadopoulos was apparently drinking with a top Australian diplomat back in May of 2016. And he told that diplomat that Russia had political dirt on Hillary Clinton. Two months later, when the DNC emails were leaked, Australian officials told U.S. officials about that conversation with Papadopoulos. Now, this news indicates that additional intelligence, separate from that dossier by a British spy on Trump-Russia ties, raised concerns among security officials. This hour, the White House is responding. The president's lawyer, Ty Cobb, telling CNN, quote... Out of respect for the special counsel and his process, we are not commenting on matters such as this. We are continuing to fully cooperate with the special counsel in order to help complete their inquiry expeditiously. Joining us now, Washington Investigations editor for the New York Times, Mark Mazzetti. He is one of the journalists behind this breaking news today. Mark, thank you uh, for joining us. I know.
0: So we're going to listen to uh, this. There were two journalists on this story. Um, I just want to Reiterate this: that uh, the New York Times and the New York Post, I mean the New York Times and the Washington Post, um, they're or, they're always there to break these stories at the right time. It's one of these two uh, papers that are uh, breaking these stories. When the leak uh, leaks came out on uh, Michael Flynn and Jeff Sessions that they were meeting with the Russians, it was uh, reported in the Washington Post and uh, the New York Times is break. Coming out with this story at this, you know, um, operative time to say, hey, no, it wasn't the dossier. Our private sources and they're it's all based on unnamed sources in this article. I'll put the article in the show notes. Our unnamed sources within the FBI are telling us, no, it wasn't the dossier. It was uh, this meeting that uh, Papadopoulos had in uh, London with Alexander Downer. Alexander Downer is an Australian a uh, diplomat um an australian um um ambassador um so to speak um in london they're having a drink with this guy papadopoulos i can't wait to play papadopoulos in his own words for you in a little bit um it, but he had a drink with this guy and said hey you know uh, we got uh, dirt on hillary clinton and and then this ambassador from Australia contacts the FBI, and that is actually what initiated the FISA warrant and the investigation, not the dossier. So that's what's going on here. Let's listen to uh, one of the authors of this uh, New York Times piece.
9: Republicans, you've been reporting as well as the president, claimed the steel dossier is the basis. For the fbi's probe into russia's election meddling and the question of collusion with the trump campaign but according to this explosive report from you and your colleagues today that's not true
16: right the dossier has been with us uh, publicly for almost a year now and it's been This uh, sort of uh, political dynamite where Republicans have dismissed it and said it's been discredited and that this was the basis for the entire FBI investigation. What we report today is that um, actually uh, it wasn't the basis for the FBI investigation. There were several things that were involved, but primarily it was information from George Papadopoulos. As you said, he was drinking in a bar with the top Australian diplomat in London in May 2016. And two months later, later the Australian uh, tells uh, the FBI what Papadopoulos had told him that Russia has dirt on Hillary Clinton. Um, It's interesting because this sort of helps fit a big piece into the puzzle of the narrative of 2016. Why did the FBI get so concerned about Trump?
0: This is the point. This is the funny thing, though, is that if the FBI had already been tracking the Russians in the DNC network going back to August, 2015, then wouldn't they already know that the Russians have dirt on Hillary Clinton? They would already know that, right? So hearing that this Trump associate is telling an Australian Uh, diplomat that hey the russians have dirt on hillary clinton and then him coming back to the fbi hey this guy just told me in this bar that the russians have dirt on hillary clinton the fbi would be like yeah we know the russians have dirt on hillary clinton we've been actually trying to get in touch with the dnc to get them to work with us but they don't want to work with us they're hiring this private firm CrowdStrike. um i think that that's the way that conversation would have gone down
16: Russian contacts that caused them to launch this
0: investigation. This was a
16: key piece.
9: So do we know why Australians waited two whole months to tell their American counterparts about this conversation?
16: We don't. Uh, and that's one question that we'll continue to report out. Why don't uh, it, we know it is that? possible that uh, they, uh, the Australian, uh, whose name is Alexander Downer, who's the top uh, diplomat in, in the UK, um, heard the information. It was not considered uh, urgent uh, until two months urgent. later when we saw emails spilling out publicly that were damaging to Hillary Clinton's campaign specifically the DNC emails and after that it became clear that this was what Papadopoulos was talking about and they put two and two together and urgently oh, they put went two to the and United two together States. man That's some speculation
0: good. these guys are these guys are good at cracking the case good Good. We. It's a good thing we got these uh, Cracker Jack law enforcement agents so on the job. So, what
9: did the FBI do then after they got that information from
16: Australia? So what has been publicly reported uh, and, and and spoken of by senior officials is that in late July of 2016, the FBI opened a counterintelligence investigation, which was basically looking at uh, what are what are, what is behind this intelligence about contacts between the Trump campaign and Russians. What are they to make of it? Uh, they started the investigation, but it did not, uh, really go full tilt, uh, for some time. It wasn't really until the fall that they started really looking at these issues particularly seriously. Now, at the same time, this is a month before the election, and there was concern in the FBI about a full-blown investigation, uh, coloring the political, uh, uh sort of climate at the time, a month before the election. Recall, it was a time when there was concern that Trump might, you know, lose and not, uh, Uh, except the results of the election. So there was a real debate inside the FBI.
9: So did you get the sense then that they didn't really know how to best approach their investigation, that they were sort of wondering how aggressive to go in following up on these tips,
16: yes, I think there was such a debate. Now, again, what has been reported uh, before is that Christopher seal the former uh, British spy who put the dossier together, had gone to a contact of his who works at the FBI in Rome. This was uh, earlier in the summer. Uh, but it does not appear that the FBI really took that information that Steele provided particularly seriously until later in the summer or early fall, because as reported in our story today, it wasn't until October when FBI agents went over to Europe to interview Steele. So there was a real lag time, and there did seem to be some period when the FBI was not, um, you know, was, w- w- was doing, it. they had opened an investigation, but they were not, uh... In, you know, do, doing everything they could to sort of chase every lead.
0: This guy's lying his butt off. So he's telling you that uh, they started the investigation uh, way back in uh, July. Uh, but it was, you know, it wasn't a real investigation. It was just, you know, a tepid uh, investigation. It, it wasn't until October that they really started getting into investigating. And why would they start really getting into it in October? Maybe because they knew that there is a chance that Trump might pull this thing off and win it. And if he does, we're in a lot of trouble. So we better start getting this insurance policy set up really fast.
9: So because the timing really is crucial, Mark, I just want to make sure we understand the order of all of this. Did the FBI start their investigation before they knew about the Steele dossier or do you know?
16: Uh, we, uh, th- w- w- we do not believe that, um, that it, w- spit at- it, out. The report. it was not at all the predicate <laughs> for the investigation. We do <laughs> spit
0: think it out. He can't spit it FBI out. <laughs> he can't spit it out. He's at
16: lying his butt off. We do think that at-, at least one FBI agent knew about information that Steele had provided. We believe he provided that. So, inter- so just inter- one, one FBI agent. Made.
0: Who's that? What's his name? Andy McKay? <laughs> Peter Strzok? <laughs> Lisa Page? James Comey? Who is the FBI agent that knew about the Steele dossier? (laughs) Who knew about it early on when it was just a tepid investigation? It really didn't kick off until um, October. Who was the one FBI agent that knew about the Steele dossier? Please tell us report. It
16: was not at all the predicate for the investigation. We do think that at least one FBI agent knew about information that Steele had provided. We believe he provided that in early July. Who's he? he was agent in Rome. But uh, we have multiple sources who have confirmed that it was uh, the Papadopoulos email, uh, Papadopoulos, Papadopoulos information together with they even keep the, the hacked story emails it's together hilarious. with possibly other sources uh, that launched the FBI investigation. It was not the Steele information.
9: Did they tell you that point blank, that the dossier had nothing to do with them opening the investigation?
16: Yes, they did.
0: Okay, so I want these are to unnamed listen. sources. That's the day that he's, he's writing this article based on unnamed sources in the FBI. These sources could be anyone, all right? They could be in on the cover-up. We have no idea who these sources are. And everybody in the media based on this New York Times article can, after this, they started to repeat over and over again as if it was a fact that the investigation started because of Papadopoulos and not the um, and not the dossier. As a matter of fact, I haven't heard anyone in the intelligence community say that it was the uh was papadopoulos and not the dossier i've only heard people in the media say that it was papadopoulos and not the dossier as a matter of fact i got james clapper here now remember who james clapper is james clapper is director of national intelligence dni he knows everything about what's going on in the intelligence agencies underneath him. That is his entire job. So if there's an investigation going on, particularly a counterintelligence investigation, and it 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 has to do with uh, the guy who is leading one of the two major parties for the nomination of president, how could the director of national intelligence not know about this? But this is what James Clapper uh, told Jake Tapper.
2: Director Clapper, you were the director of national intelligence when the FBI launched its investigation into Russian meddling in the election. Was George Papadopoulos a major factor in the launch of the investigation?
1: Well, uh, as not, not uh, to my knowledge contemporaneously. I, uh, George Papadopoulos was a name that uh, was not on my uh, radar scope at the, at the time.
12: And
0: Wow. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I don't even know what to say. That's director of national intelligence in his own words. George Papadopoulos, when the investigation started, George Papadopoulos was not on my radar. I did not know anything about George Papadopoulos, director of national intelligence. What do you do with that?
9: To the former Trump campaign officials as they dismissed Papadopoulos back when he first struck that plea deal and and his uh, documents from that deal were disclosed
3: the guy was he was the coffee boy. I mean, you might have called him a, a a foreign policy analyst, but in fact, you know, if he was going to wear a wire, all we'd know now is whether he prefers a caramel macchiato, a macchiato over a regular American mm-hmm. coffee in conversations with his barrister. He had nothing to do with the campaign.
0: I mean, George oh, Papadopoulos pretty much admits okay, that himself. Oh, we're going to listen to a what clip to with, with him in a moment, uh, but he was a lower level advisor. He came over from the Ben Carson campaign. I think that calling him a coffee boy, coffee boy, is a little demeaning. But uh, to say that he was a significant, significant player in the Trump campaign is absolutely ridiculous.
12: And.
9: The old coffee boy soundbite. But your reporting indicates he was not just a coffee boy. He was actually a very integral player. Tell us more about how involved he was.
16: So Papadopoulos was named as an advisor uh, during a time when the Trump campaign was struggling to find anyone uh, of import or substance uh, who could serve on the foreign policy team. He didn't have that much experience. Uh, However, uh, during the summer and fall of 2016, as we report today, uh, he did actually remain in contact with senior campaign officials. He even helped broker some significant meetings, Uh, most notably Papadopoulos played a significant role in uh, working with Steve Bannon, then the campaign chairman, to set up a meeting between Donald Trump and President Sisi of Egypt. This was in September of 2016, uh, right around the time of the U.N. General Assembly.
9: Does your reporting show there is any evidence Papadopoulos discussed what he knew about Russia's dirt on Clinton with senior Trump campaign officials?
16: That remains one of the most important questions that we still uh, have not gotten the bottom of. Uh, We don't know, uh, again, whether he told anyone inside the campaign, which uh, would be a very significant uh, development. Uh, The documents that Robert Mueller's team produced in October shed no light on that. All they say is that Papadopoulos was told about the dirt, uh, but it says nothing about who he told uh, inside uh, the Trump orbit.
0: That's funny because I mean, we're going to listen to Papadopoulos in a moment. He didn't tell anybody. <laughs> and that was a real pop problem for them that he didn't tell anybody because they needed him to take that information and to tell someone within the Trump campaign, which uh, he did not do. <laughs> so this is a little bit of the other uh, author of that article from The New York Times. We're going to listen to a little bit of him here on uh, PBS. After months
7: of President Trump accusing the U.S. government of spying on his 2016 campaign, the president responded positively Thursday to a story by The New York Times with new details on the FBI's effort to covertly gather information from a Trump campaign advisor. We're joined now by one of the article's reporters. He is Adam Goldman. He covers the FBI and national security for The Times. Adam Goldman, Welcome again to the News Hour. So, tell us it, what, on what basis, it was. The story is all about uh, an FBI investigator meeting covertly with uh, a, a Trump campaign advisor. Tell us how did this come about? How unusual was it?
8: well I, I don't think it's particularly unusual if the FBI believes uh, there's wrongdoing and they need to get to the bottom of this you know they typically might send in an investigator uh, like this woman in uh, alongside an informant uh, to figure spy, out what
0: happened. spy spy um, informant exactly what and and uh, it's very well that Downer could have been uh, acting as an informant there's another woman uh, that we're going to talk about in a moment uh, honeypot. Um, who was beautiful blonde girl who was there also uh, hitting on uh, Papadopoulos that uh, she may have well been a spy as well.
8: Trying to do, the FBI was trying to understand... You know, it was George Papadopoulos, this foreign policy, this campaign advisor for Trump, you know, in some way working with the Russians uh, and they thought. So
0: in, in the meeting where Papadopoulos is telling Alexander Downer that uh, that we have dirt or the Russians have dirt on Hillary Clinton, you're already acting as a spy um as an informant well what was the predicate of that of you uh, sending spies to uh see what i knew about the russian um the, the russian dirt that they that they had on hillary clinton and what was the predicate for that I thought that Papadopoulos was the predicate for the investigation, but it sounds like the investigation is already going on because there are human sources that are already attached to Papadopoulos, is what it sounds like.
8: That because they had received an allegation that, in fact, he was. So they moved quickly and aggressively. They received
0: to to- an allegation that he was working with the Russians. That was why they put the spies on him. Oh, interesting. Where did that allegation come from?
8: You know, in some way, working with the Russians. Uh, and they thought that because they had received an allegation that, in fact, he was. So they moved quickly and aggressively to try to figure out before the election ended was he, in fact, working with the Russians.
7: So, what, what was the basis they were using? What evidence did they have that there was a reason to, to try to get in and, and know more about what he was up to?
8: I mean, at its core, the Australian government provided information that George Pop that the Russians had essentially made George Papadopoulos a a offer, uh, saying they had hacked uh, emails, uh, Democratic emails, and they could help him uh, release them and coordinate the timing of that. And uh, Papadopoulos had told that to the. Uh, Australian ambassador at the time in London, and that information was relayed to the FBI months later, in fact. And that was the genesis of uh, the FBI's Russian investigation known as Crossfire Hurricane.
7: Right. And, and I mean, just in, in terms of parlance, as somebody who follows the FBI all the time, what's the difference between investigating someone, as they did in this case, and they acknowledge it, and spying on someone, which was the term uh, that the attorney general used at one I think point? The semantics.
8: Using? I mean, you typically don't hear law enforcement officials uh, use the word spying, you know, that's it's, it's court ordered or court approved, you know, surveillance. Uh, that <laughs> seems to become that seems to become surveillance. A term, a majority <laughs> term. Surveillance.
0: Uh, if someone's peeking through your window, they're spying on you. But if the, if it's the government peeking through your window, they're surveilling you. Uh,
8: uh, you know, Attorney General William Barr said earlier this week that it was a fine English word uh, and he had no problems using it. But, for, for, for critics of the Trump, they see this as a way to, you know, delegitimize, you know, the FBI's efforts to try to figure out what was going on in this really hectic period before the election.
7: Well, as you say, the, the Trump uh, administration uh, attempting, many of them, to, to, to uh, say that this was not a legitimate move on the part of the FBI, who would have had to approve it before it took place?
8: And this this was a sensitive operation taking place in London. And as I've said, the British authorities were notified, MI5, and and that would have gone to the highest levels of the Bureau and the Justice Department itself. Ooh, wow, but not this Obama.
0: A, it would have gone to the highest levels of the Bureau and, adjust, and the Justice Department, but not Obama. Okay, that's interesting.
8: It's a very, very... Um, uh, Sensitive operation they were running running in London, and a lot of people would have known about it, and it would have would have required approvals at the highest highest levels of the Justice Department.
7: In other words, multiple layers of authorization, and, and which makes it easier or harder for it to have been politically motivated. Yeah.
8: Right, exactly.
0: I, uh, besides the we, fact we are, that they're leaking the information to me and my colleagues at the Washington Post, no, it's not political at all. Besides that, besides that, the fact that uh, it was leaked to us and we are writing articles about what was leaked to us from this surveillance at uh, at uh, times where we can hurt the president uh, the, the best and, and the most effective Effectively. Besides that, no, it's not politically motivated at all.
8: Prosecutors making those decisions. Uh, You know, the inspector general of the Justice Department is looking at what happened in London and the use of this informant uh, who the FBI deployed to, to, to brush up against. Uh, Papadopoulos. And as part of that, they'll probably look at this government investigator and what she was doing, too. You know, and ultimately, the IG will come down and say whether this was inappropriate or or it's
0: Horowitz. That's the IG report that that we're waiting on um, that. He's right. Um, We're hoping that this IG report is going to hash a lot of this out and tell us if uh, this surveillance was legal or legal ish.
8: Uh, So far, nobody's provided evidence that it was somehow uh, illegal or or unjustified.
0: He's right. He's right about that. Uh, So far, no one uh, has uh, proven that it was illegal or unjustified. The investigation into the investigation investigation into the investigators just started and uh we're waiting for the ig report like he just said nothing has been proven uh so far but here on this podcast i'm going to tell you what we do know so far and what we do know so far it doesn't look good for them (laughs) it doesn't look good because it doesn't matter if it was papadopoulos or the dossier it doesn't matter if either of those were the predicate for obtaining the FISA to spy on the president uh, because neither of those uh, are proper predicates. And you're going to see why I've already explained why the dossier is not. And we'll talk more about why why the dossier is uncredible and not a, uh, um, a, a viable predicate for a FISA warrant. But uh, right now we're going to talk about Papadopoulos. Now, uh, this scheme took place on uh, two continents. Uh, with the intelligence agency, uh, of, uh, countries on three different continents. Um, and the, uh, we know this, whether it started with the dossier, which was, uh, created by a former British, uh, MI6 agent or if it uh, was Papadopoulos and uh, his meeting that he had in London, we know that the origins of all of this is London in Britain, whether it's the British agent or these meetings that Papadopoulos had in London. And uh, the British intelligence uh, services were heavily involved in this. Uh, some of the players that you're going to hear about in these next clips – that I'm talking about is one uh, human source that we know about for sure. It was uh, written about uh, in Mueller's investigation and in the New York Times read about it. A professor by the name of uh, Stephen or Stefan uh, Halper. Uh, he was a Cambridge professor. Um, he was not, he's not only a, a spy and a known, uh, source for the American intelligence. He has billed, uh, the American government up to a million dollars for his services. So we got the receipts on this guy and we know for a fact that helper was, um, was one of the human sources that uh, were uh, embedded into the Trump campaign and was used by the American intelligence agents to uh, kick off this story. Uh, Another interesting thing is that uh, Halper, once this story came out and uh, started to be a big deal, um, he went into hiding. Uh, Just like um, Christopher Steele, who created the dossier, once uh, the story broke, uh, he went into hiding. And this other professor who you're going to hear about in a moment, he's an Italian professor by the name of Joseph Mithsut. Joseph Mithsut went into hiding for two years after this story broke. All right. And you got to ask yourself, why are these guys going into hiding? If what they did is on the up and up and it was legal and it was valid, why does everyone have to go into hiding?
17: Uh, This is a clip about Stefan Halpert. Professor Stefan Halpert, the alleged FBI informant embedded in the Trump campaign is disappearing from public view as President Trump and other conservatives accuse the agency of political bias. Here's One American News' Neil W. McCabe with more on that story from Washington.
4: This is the gate to the Great Falls, Virginia farm of Professor Stefan Helper, who has been named as the informant that special counsel Robert Mueller called the, quote, overseas professor, unquote, in court filings. Before we headed back to the Washington studio, I tried the bell, but there was no answer. Helper, a national security contractor, who has billed the Pentagon Special Studies and Analysis Office and other agencies more than one million dollars since May of 2012, is said to have met with Trump campaign staffers George Papadopoulos, retired Air Force Colonel Sam Clovis, and Carter Page. In fact, Papadopoulos pleaded guilty to misleading FBI agents about his conversations with Helper. Now Helper has disappeared from public view. It is here at Helper's Virginia farm that Page told One American News he met with Helper on multiple occasions. Page gave One American News this screenshot of a July 28th email Helper sent him. The email closes with, quote, We are in Virginia enjoying a warm but quiet summer. Be in touch when you have the time.
0: So this is his contact with Carter Page. Uh, Carter Page is, uh, who have told you that the FISA, uh, was obtained on. Um, so this helper working for, uh, the government, we're not sure if he's working for, um, Obama's FBI or Obama's, uh, CIA in his role to infiltrate, uh, the, uh, Trump campaign. I believe it was the, uh, the, um, the FBI, but you can never be too sure. Um, You can never be too sure. Anyway, so Halper is not only communicating with Papadopoulos, but he's also communicating with Carter Page, other members of the uh, Trump campaign. And uh, take a listen to what their communication uh, is like. All right. So this is uh, Papadopoulos talking about his interactions with uh, Stefan Halper.
17: How I Got Caught in the Crosshairs of the Plot to Bring Down President Trump. Probably the most accurate title of a book in a long time. He joins us tonight. George, thanks very much for coming on. Um, so briefly describe your experience with the woman you believe was sent to spy on the Trump campaign by the Obama administration
0: okay so before he says this let me tell you a little bit about this woman this woman's name is Azra Turk okay Azra Turk is the honeypot that I mentioned earlier now what a honeypot is is a spy that uses sex to get information uh, from people and she's really hot and attractive and and she flirts with you and she'll even have sex with you if that's what's needed to get the information. That is a honeypot. So this honeypot named Azra Turk, uh, she was sent over to London from uh, by either the CIA or the FBI. Again, it's hard to tell. You never know. She was sent by one of those agencies, Obama, the Obama administration. Let's just say that the Obama administration sent Azra uh, Turk over to London to oversee this operation and uh, and uh, Papadopoulos is going to tell you about his interaction with her and Halper.
18: Sure. That's a great question. And uh, I received an unsolicited email uh, in September of 2016 from a man named Stefan Halper who uh, was suggesting that he wanted to pay me $3,000 to write a report on uh, energy security questions that I was a recognized expert on at the time in Israel, uh, Turkey, and uh, Cyprus. And I looked him up. I'd never heard of him before. I just yeah. saw that he
0: had- Helper Halper reaches out to him. He doesn't reach out to Halper. Halper reaches out to
18: him. He had worked in four US uh, administrations and he was a professor at Cambridge. So I accepted his offer. He flew me to London where he paid a five-star hotel my flight and uh, he said before i meet with you i need you to meet my assistant and he put this assistant in an email chain along with me and i saw her name was azra turk i recognized it as turkish uh... which was a bit suspicious right away because um... my policy uh... <clears throat> positions throughout my entire career were very hostile to turkey so when i noticed a turkish name i didn't understand why she'd be involved uh... but anyways i went and i met with her and uh, she was very suggestive as you can understand Um, younger, you know, very flirtatious, and I I right away understood that this wasn't a Cambridge uh, assistant, and, uh, you know, she barely spoke English, she was very flirty, and was trying to do two things, one, to extract information about my professional connections uh, in the Middle East, and two, to see if uh, I had any information that she could potentially extract from me about Trump in Russia, which of course is nonsense, and uh, so anyways, after I meet with her, she is then introduced to me again the next day uh, with Stefan Helper where she goes from this uh, suggestive young lady to now pouring us coffee and uh, Stefan Helper is very belligerent. I explain it in my book um, uh, how belligerent he is, how he invited me to basically uh, castigate me about my policy positions and of course Azra Turk then took me to dinner and was just basically trying to extract information. I was very suspicious And, uh, you know, from that moment, I knew there was something wrong and I was laughing about it. But now, of course, The New York Times reported that uh, she was some sort of agent. But I don't think she was FBI. I think she was CIA.
0: We're going to listen to that New York Times report. So we just finished listening to that New York Times report. Same report reporter that uh, Adam uh, Goldberg or Goldstein, whatever his name is, uh, that we just finished listening to that reported on the fact that Papadopoulos was uh, what started the investigation. Well, he's also the one who wrote the same story about uh, Halper and Azra Turk. And I have a clip for him in a moment. But uh, let's listen to some more of Papadopoulos here.
17: She was dispatched by the Obama administration. Barack Obama was the president of the United States, led the executive branch, including CIA and FBI and every other agency. To spy on, in effect, the Trump campaign.
0: Tucker gets it right there, man. The the Obama administration. It's just easy to say the Obama administration because they're all underneath Obama. So who, who cares if it was FBI, CIA? It was Obama. Missing something or
17: is that what happened?
18: That's absolutely what happened. And I and I want to make something very uh, clear here. Uh, I don't think uh, President Trump was um, tweeting about UK interference out of the blue for no reason last week. Because, uh, let me explain why. The day I met with Stefan Halper and Azra Turk in London, I was invited by the British Ministry of Foreign Affairs to meet with them at their offices, including with uh, Tobias Elwood, who was the number two at the time under Boris Johnson. So clearly when the New York Times uh, suggested in their reporting today that the British were, um, were told of this operation, I believe the British actually were actively spying on me as well. And I think part of what President Trump was uh, tweeting last week about the British spying was about this uh, involvement in this operation in London. So I guess we're, we have a lot more to find out.
17: I would just remind our of you. I mean, you went up going to jail briefly, correct?
18: Yes, I did. I went for yeah. 11 nights. Uh, yeah.
17: yeah. So you go to, to jail. You didn't spy for Russia. It turns out you didn't do anything wrong. And your life is destroyed. But we shouldn't figure out how this happened because why? I don't know.
0: They're scared, because if we figure out how this happens, some people are going to be in a lot of trouble. OK, now this is Adam, the person who wrote the story in The New York Times. He is with um, um, Anderson Cooper, and they're talking about Azra Turk, the honeypot. And
2: is it clear why the decision was made by the FBI to send this particular investigator to London?
8: Um, I. I- this this person would play the role of Stefan Halper's uh, research assistant. She
0: was playing the role, just like Papadopoulos just said. You know, They were setting up these Trump associates, human sources. That's two spies now, Halper and, uh, and uh, Azra Turk Honeypot. Uh, that's two spies, and they're playing a role. And she's playing the role of Halper's assistant.
8: And I thought the fbi believes she would she would make a, a good fit i i think uh i think part of the rationale was also to have uh an american investigator there who could provide some oversight and make sure uh this operation stayed on the uh, on the rails was she an fbi agent I'm just what I'm gonna. I'm just gonna leave it at right now as a government investigator. I'm okay. Use that. I use that. I use that wording for an
0: Obama agent. Okay. She's an Obama is it, agent. Is, is, is it clear if any? <laughs> <laughs> That's who she was. She was an Obama agent. Let's just say that. That's how we clear it up. Who knows what she, uh, what she, uh, what agency she was, uh, you know, involved with? CIA, FBI. Um, the State Department. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) She was an Obama official. All right, here's some more of Papadopoulos.
11: And we begin this morning with a look back at the Russia probe. We are taking a closer look this morning at the probable cause and whether there, in fact, was probable cause to start a criminal investigation into Donald Trump in 2016 and 17, we know that the special counsel found no uh, collusion, no obstruction. We also know that the Obama Justice Department and FBI spied on the Trump campaign. These are facts. But was there a legal predicate, a probable cause to justify spying one political campaign, spying on another political campaign. This is what Attorney General William Barr says he is investigating right now. Now, so far, the FBI has claimed that it launched an investigation into Donald Trump in the summer of 2016 and spied on members of his campaign because of this man, George Papadopoulos, and a conversation that he had with an Australian diplomat, author of the book, Deep State Target. George, it is good to have you on the program this morning. Thanks very much for being here.
18: Thanks so much for having me, Maria.
11: I want you to take us back to how this all began, because when you and I were talking about what you went through, it was actually stunning to me in terms of the level of people that reached out to you. First, before we go through this timeline that uh, is is, is really stunning, and I want our viewers to to focus on this, I want to ask you, have you ever been to Russia?
18: (laughs) I've never been to Russia, no.
11: Do you have any colleagues, associates that work In Russia or for the Russian government?
18: Absolutely not. In fact, uh, I was working at a neoconservative think tank for five years leading up to uh, joining uh, both the Carson and Trump campaigns, and I was in the energy business. Okay. So, as an American doing those two things, you're not working with the Russians at all, and you're not promoting their interests.
11: All right. So let's. Take it back to the end of 2015, and you are working with the Ben Carson campaign. We've got this timeline here. You are working for Ben Carson. You wanted Ben Carson to win, but you decide you want to give Corey Lewandowski a call, who is running the Trump campaign. You say you're interested in joining.
18: That's right. Actually, actually I had reached out to Corey Lewandowski uh, even uh, before Carson, I think around June or July of 2015. Uh, I just thought that Donald Trump was going to end up being the president. Uh, I thought he, he was going to end up choosing and, Marco and, Rubio as his VP. But and, and no.
0: No, no, just you got to understand that that communication—I uh, mean, if they were spying before, uh, if they were spying beforehand on Corey Lewandowski, and they know about this communication uh, from Papadopoulos contacting Corey Lewandowski before uh, Ben Carson is even out and he's off the uh, Carson campaign. Uh, so they know that this guy has interests. if they are spying and his communication is caught up they know that this guy has interest so that's going to explain so if they set this guy as a mark because Papadopoulos was a mark an absolute mark um, they set him as a mark then they knew about this uh, communication that he had with Lewandowski uh, prior to even leaving the Carson campaign
18: that's right. Actually, actually, I had reached out to Corey Lewandowski uh, even uh, before Carson, I think around June or July of 2015. Uh, I just thought that Donald Trump was going to end up being the president. Uh, I thought he, he was going to end you, up choosing and, Marco and, Rubio as his VP. But and, and no. and he told
0: you- Carson, uh, just to say this, too, he, he just said, I felt that uh, Donald Trump was going to be president. Uh, ben Carson himself also joined the Trump campaign uh, at about the same time that Papadopoulos is joining the uh, Trump campaign
11: weren't hiring yet that he would get back to you.
18: That's right. That's right. And okay. we stayed in touch. I ended up joining the Ben Carson campaign after that. So
11: you're working for Ben Carson. You're in touch with the Trump campaign. Then Ben Carson drops out in January 16. So you are left without working. You, you You don't have a job. And somebody reaches out to you on LinkedIn. Tell me about that.
18: Yeah, absolutely. So I was contacted by this company called uh, the London Center for International Law Practice. I was living in London at the time. I was uh, in the energy business in Europe. And they contacted me out of the blue. We'd like for you to come and work for us as a director over here. And I didn't think too much of it. And I went over there and uh, this uh, company ended up being um, some sort of spark. That end up that ended up probably changing my life in the and uh, the last two years of this country because they're the ones that introduced me to this mysterious professor in, in uh, Rome, Joseph Nipson. Right.
11: Okay, don't get ahead of ourselves. So you're working for this this center. We we learn later that this center actually has worked with the FBI in the past, right?
18: Absolutely. So all of the officials that I was working with at this company were either connected to you know, Western governments, Western intelligence organizations or some of the top partners at the top law firms in the world were affiliated with this company. There were absolutely no Russians whatsoever at this company. And
11: they reached out to you on LinkedIn. That, that's, that raises some red flags right there because I'm wondering why a company working with intel agencies regularly including the FBI in the past Reach out to you on LinkedIn. He was a mark. You, they were marking why did they him. Reach out to you working with Ben Carson? I'm just wondering if, in fact, more people were spied on, uh, like Ben Carson's campaign. But we'll get to, to that in a minute. Um, they reach out to you. You start working. with you, you accept the job?
18: I do accept the job. I, I get there, and, and within 48 hours, I'm a director already, which uh, didn't make sense to me. It seemed like it was a fabricated type of uh, position there just to get me in the room and to meet various people and for them to introduce me to various uh, officials around uh, Europe and uh, even the United States. So it seemed like it was some sort of front company and front job. So
11: fast forward to March when you decide you are in fact going to join the Trump campaign. You go back to your colleagues at this center uh, and you say, I'm leaving, I'm quitting. I want to go work for Trump. And then what happens?
18: Yeah, absolutely. So I tell them I'm uh, leaving and they and they're all furious. Essentially they're telling me, "Are you crazy? Uh, you know, you have such high-level connections here in Europe and then uh, in DC. Why would you go and work there? You just finished working on Carson's campaign. He dropped out. Trump's okay, obviously you not going to win." you're going to do it. But, but,
11: you, you're going to do it. And they yeah. say what?
18: Yeah. And and they're just furious and uh, they say, well, if you're going to end up leaving us before you go, we need you to go to Rome with us because we have some people there who are going to help you on the campaign. And at the time, I didn't think anything of it. And I went to Rome uh, with them to. uh... All
0: right. So we're in Rome now. So we are leaving London uh we're flying to the uh european mainland we're in rome and in rome we are met with another professor uh we have uh helper who's a cambridge professor and in, in london um who's working closely with the united states intelligence uh community and then we get to rome and then we have a roman uh roman a professor in rome who who is also heavily connected with Italian intelligence. And his name is Joseph Mitsut. Joseph Mitsut went into hiding for two years, two years after this story broke. And uh, he has just uh, uh, come out of hiding after, since the Mueller report was released. Um, so we're in Rome now, and you go, Papadopoulos
18: university.
11: Okay, so you go to this university in Rome and you meet some uh, interesting individuals. Let's talk about that. (laughs) One of those individuals is this gentleman named Mifsud. Tell me about the people you met in Rome when you're still working uh, for the London Center of International Law Practice, which of course reached out to you on LinkedIn to get you this job. And you meet and they convince you before you go to work for Trump, you got to go to Rome.
18: Absolutely. And as soon as I get there, I'm basically greeted by the former Italian foreign minister, uh, Vincenzo Scotti, very high level Italian officials uh, who are affiliated with this university. I suspect there were likely FBI, CIA people there, too, because the CIA and the FBI trains at this university.
11: You meet Mifsud and you start having meetings with him. Uh, Tell me about Mifsud. Who is Mifsud?
18: Yeah, so I'm introduced to Mifsud uh, by the Italian, uh, former Italian foreign minister, Scotty, and this company I worked for. And uh, Mifsud basically is uh, the overseas professor that Bob Mueller falsely characterized to the world as some sort of Russian cutout who was uh, trying to conspire with me or collude with me and provide information that the Russians had but Hillary Clinton's emails now. he drops Clinton's a bomb on you. Now.
11: He drops a bomb on you in one of the meetings.
18: Yeah, so after I meet him in mid-March, so before my name is even public in The Washington Post these people are introducing me to Joseph Mifsud so clearly the, there were some sort of eyes on me even before my name was public so he meets with me we have some bizarre conversations moving forward about a potential meeting between Trump and Putin he could never introduce me to anyone of substance in the Russian government or anyone of substance in general and in late April he lets me know that the hey George did you know that the Russians have Hillary Clinton's emails and that's where uh, you know I was very suspicious of this person and actually facts and events Preceding that moment and after were very bizarre. Mm-hmm.
11: So he tells you Russia has emails of Hillary Clinton's, uh, and this is the bomb that you feel was the whole reason that they wanted you to go to uh, Rome to meet him because th- he, they wanted him to tell you about these emails that Russia had of Hillary Clinton. Is that right?
18: That's absolutely correct. I think this person was some sort of plant. Uh, he's been outed recently living openly next to the U.S. Embassy in Rome. Uh, he's, been, uh, he's being protected, actually, by Italian intelligence right now, so they didn't and he's want gone missing to, they, for two they years. They wanted
11: you to go back and tell Trump about Russia having Hillary yeah. Clinton emails. Did you do that?
18: Absolutely not. Uh, That wasn't Mm, my job. And that is uh, a a big problem for
0: them because they expected him to go back and tell Trump this, and he didn't. And that's where the case breaks down for him.
18: (laughs) Strange things when you're in these uh, circles. And the last thing I was going to do was go and talk to the campaign about something that I thought was illegal.
11: Now, what happens next is really interesting to me because over the the course of the next four weeks, first you get the bomb thrown in your lap from Misfit that he tells you, Russia has Hillary Clinton's emails. You don't do anything with that information, but you think he's hoping you will. But in the next we, in the next month, you get outreach from lots of different intel people. Is that right? You, you, you are contacted by U.S. intel officials, British intel officials, Australian intel officials. What was that all about?
18: Oh, three continents, yeah, uh, people, like I point. said, the intelligence so, uh, agencies of three continents. April 15th, the Australian government reached out to me for the first time. April 26th, Joseph Mifsud tells me this information. May 2nd, I have the British government reaching out to me from this man, Tobias Elwood, who uh, was a number two at the British Ministry of Foreign Affairs, where he wants to have a conversation with me and get to know me a little bit. May 4th, I'm contacted by two officials of the DIA at the U.S. Embassy in London named Gregory Baker and Terrence Dudley. And then I meet uh, on May 10th, this uh, Australian diplomat, Alexander Downer, who I I testified under under oath to Congress uh, and told the FBI and Bob Mueller that I felt he was uh, spying on me and recording my conversations.
11: So this is all what you believe is spying, recording your conversations. Early 2016, way before there was any FISA warrant to actually get a warrant to spy on anybody. You hearing this, people? And then it was Downer. This is before the FISA warrant. The spying's already going on. They got you with, because Alexander Downer has a conversation with you, and you were asked by the FBI, when did you first meet Downer? You tell them what.
18: Oh, so so the FBI. Um, so basically, the FBI interview was. Uh, I brought up Joseph Mifsud, and I brought up this whole idea of who told me this uh, information about emails, and then I got caught in a perjury trap. And actually, well, that was my charge. I got charged with. Uh, I guess, uh, lying about when I met this person. So this is what this whole case was really about. It was a complete setup and a perjury trap. But uh, That's what they you know, sent the him
0: to uh, jail for, which he pled guilty to and spent 11 days in jail uh, because he, they said that he was lying about when exactly he, he met um, Helper. Um, let's listen to another interview. Uh, this is a different time, but, uh, the same, uh, two people talking on Fox news, uh, Maria Bartoloma and, uh, uh, George Papadopoulos. This is a different interview, uh, but, uh, there's some interesting stuff in here that I want you to hear.
11: George, good to have you on the program this morning. Thanks very much for being here. Thanks a lot for having me. You know, your story really uh, is a perfect example of how entrapment and a strategy to take down President Trump and then candidate Trump really is so obvious. George, I want you to take us through your story from the beginning. You were working on Ben Carson's campaign. Uh, in the beginning of 2016, but you had had a few phone calls with Corey Lewandowski telling Lewandowski that you would be willing to join the Trump campaign. You thought Donald Trump would win the election. So you're working with Ben Carson. Then Ben Carson drops out and you are out of a job at that point. Then what happens?
18: Yeah. Um, so then I get um, this uh, unsolicited email from this um very fancy-sounding company named the London Center for International Law Practice in central London which uh, I had become a director immediately uh, working in their energy department. I didn't understand that this was essentially a front group for uh, Western intelligence and Western uh, ex-Western diplomats who are basically um, who are affiliated with this organization and then I joined this group after they find me uh, after I leave the Ben Carson campaign and I tell them look I'm leaving I'm not really enjoying my time here I'm going to join the, ben, uh, the Donald Trump campaign And that's when uh, a person connected to the FBI, who was a director at this company I worked for, wanted me to meet Joseph Mifsud. So so stop right there. uh, Stop stop right there, because I
11: I don't want to I want to make sure that the viewers follow it. So you are after the Ben Carson campaign. You don't have a job. They reached out to you on LinkedIn. So the International Center for Law Practices reaches out to you. To hire you. Then they hire you, but you're working there for three months. In March, you say, I'm going to leave. I want to go work for Trump. And they say, wait, 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 before you leave, we want to send you to Italy. We want to send you to Rome because we want you to meet some important people. Now, what company says, says to the person who says, I'm quitting, wait, we want to send you to Rome first because they wanted you to meet this guy, Joseph Misfud.
18: Absolutely. Look, immediately upon joining the Trump campaign, I was being introduced to former foreign ministers, energy ministers, uh, deputy prime ministers within the first month. So clearly there was some sort of eye already on me, uh, probably that proceeded during my time on the Ben Carson campaign. So really what I think is the most important aspect of this entire case surrounding me is something that Bob Mueller himself actually wrote in his report about me. And that's very clearly that there was some sort of illicit target on me for my ties to the Israelis. People forget that I joined both the Carson and Donald Trump campaigns because I was in the energy business, working in the Middle East and Europe, and I had very high-level ties in that part of the world, and I was promoting American energy companies. That was what my career was all about. And Bob Mueller in his report wrote that there were search warrants executed uh, based on my ties to Israel. Now. When Congress and these four horsemen, as I like to call them, Huber, Horowitz, and uh, the two others, are looking into the uh, origins of this investigation, I think when they're talking to Bob Mueller and some of these other people, they should be asking, what was the basis and for how long was George Papadopoulos under surveillance for his ties to Israel, as Bob Mueller wrote in his report? Because why is this so important? By the time I joined the Donald Trump campaign, I have all of these ministers, including Downer, uh, some M.I six characters, CIA characters reaching out to me Even Stefan Helper paying me money to find out about these ties to the Israelis. It's so
11: extraordinary. You can't write this. It's so extraordinary. So LinkedIn, they reach you you on LinkedIn. They give you a job. You're working for the center, the the center for law practices. Then you say you're going to quit because you want to go work for Trump. They say, no, wait, meet Misfud in Rome. They send you on this paid trip to Rome. You meet this guy, Misfud, who then we find out is also tied to Intel agencies across the world. talked to him uh, talked about him in the report as as a Russian spy but in fact he's very connected to Italy then others reach out from you from other countries Australia Britain US agents all reaching out to you in the summer of 2016. And then somebody gives you money on one of your trips. explain that this is now fast forward to <laughs> two thousand and seventeen when someone dropped ten thousand dollars in cash in your lap. what happened?
0: ten thousand dollars okay now listen to this story. people. It is so good. Listen to this
18: this this uh, element that you just raised um, Maria is probably going to uh, Actually provide evidence that I was part of an entrapment operation by mueller 's team, not even the politicized FBI and orkomy in uh, the summer of two thousand and seventeen uh, I had been uh, I was reached out to once again by another uh, person who wanted to do business with me, and uh, I was on vacation with my then girlfriend now wife in uh, Mikonos in uh, Greece. And uh, he comes to me and he says, why don't you come to Israel with me? And let's talk about working together. I go to Israel with him and he drops $10,000 in my lap in a room in Tel Aviv. And I don't understand what's happening. I'm very disturbed by the events. I fly to Athens the next day. I give the money to my lawyers. And this person tells me he doesn't want his money back. So immediately I thought there was something wrong. Why did he give you the money though, George?
11: You accepted the money. What was the money for?
18: Well, we were talking about working on some sort of political consulting venture. Um, like a lot of these people were reaching out to me after I left uh, the transition team. And uh, once I saw cash, I was in a foreign country. I took it. I gave it to my lawyer because I thought there was something illegal about it. I get to Dulles Airport. So you and get I have on a plane. FBI you get on agents. a
11: plane to go back yeah. to Washington. What happens when you land? And now, right now, you gave the money to your lawyer, so you don't have the money. But perhaps they assumed you did keep the money. So you're on a plane. You go to Dulles. What happens when you land in Washington?
18: Yeah. So as the money, which is currently in Athens right now with my lawyer. And I want actually I actually want Congress, Barr, Horowitz and Huber to actually review the bills because I still have the bills and I think they're marked. Uh, I get to Dulles and I have FBI agents scrambling. They don't even know why they're arresting me. I have no arrest warrants waiting for me. Uh, I'm not told why I'm being arrested and uh, later I find out from a report that came out a couple days ago that Andrew Wiseman and Mueller's team was actually in touch with uh, uh, officials in Cyprus. And I think the legal uh, uh, attache over there to discuss both Paul Manafort and myself, because I actually was in Cyprus over that summer in 2017. So something very uh, insidious was going on here. Uh, I think these bills that are still in Athens right now, it must be examined by the investigators because I think they're marked and they're going to go all the way back to the DOJ under the previous uh, uh, FBI, uh, under Comey, and even the Mueller team. And if the Mueller team is going around and trapping uh, campaign associates and the Trump associates the way they did to me, I'm sure it wasn't just me that they did it to, and uh, it's gonna open up a massive can of worms, and I think we need to get to the bottom of exactly, not only how did this- right. How did this story start, but why were they entrapping us moving forward? Unbelievable was right. I hope you
0: understand what he was saying, that this happened to him in the summer of 2017. Mueller was appointed in May of 2017. He is uh, accusing the Mueller team that Andrew Weissman, who is the lead dog on the Mueller team is communicating with the authorities in Greece. Uh, they're expecting him to fly back to the United States with this $10,000 and they can arrest him for traveling with, uh, $10,000 cash, which is illegal. Uh, it's absolutely a and then and then uh, then to use that once you have him for this uh for the, with this uh ten thousand dollars cash and you have this case on him, then you can use that case to get him to turn on the Trump campaign or to testify against Trump. Or, you know, that's why they ended up using this perjury uh, uh, case, because they needed to get a case on Papadopoulos, no matter if it's something as uh, as uh, him not remembering where he met. Uh, Professor Halper or traveling with $10,000. We need to get a case on this guy. (laughs) He was a mark the whole time. Poor. Papadopoulos. And I follow this guy on Twitter. If you guys are on Twitter, follow this guy because they expected him just to be meek and to dummy up and to go away. He's already written a book. He's very active. He wants answers. Same thing with Carter Page, although I have some uh, different theories about Carter Page. But uh, let's listen to a little bit more of this interview and then going to go ahead and uh, wrap it up.
11: George, this is so extraordinary. I, I want to make sure our audience stays with it. So I, I take you back. We're going to take a short break. But just to re- reiterate, sure. uh, in, in the, t- the beginning of 2016, you uh, uh, Ben Carson drops out of the race. You're without a job. Somebody reaches out to you on LinkedIn, offers you a job for the International Center for Law Practice. Later, we, we realize that is connected to the FBI. You're working for the International Law Practices. You tell them you're going to quit. You want to go work for Trump. They say, wait, don't go anywhere. First, you have to go to Rome and meet some people. You go to Rome, you meet this guy, Joseph Mifsud, and he drops a bomb in your lap one night as you're going out, fancy dinners, beautiful women, alcohol Alcohol and he says to you, oh, by the way, George, what?
18: Oh, by the way, George, um, at a five star hotel in London, do you know that the Russians have Hillary Clinton's emails? This is unsolicited. And so, 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 so he tells the- you this
11: and with the expectations, yeah. you say that you're going to go back to Trump, but you didn't do it. You did not pass that information on. Then you're you have outreach from all these other spies from Australia, Britain, the U.S., all year. We're going to talk more about that. George Papadopoulos, stay with us. What an extraordinary Alexander
0: story. Downer. Back in a minute. Alexander Downer is the Australian spy who they say that after Smith-Soot said, hey, we you have uh, we have Hillary Clinton's emails. The Russians have Hillary Clinton's emails. Unsolicited. They're just having a drink and he just offers this information, expecting that Carter Page is going to take this information back to Trump. He doesn't. And that's a problem for them. So they start putting uh, sending these spies at him they send downer at him he has a drink with downer and then uh downer contacts the fbi two months later and says hey this guy papadopoulos told uh me in this bar that the russians have hillary's email and that was the predicate that was the initiate to start the investigation and get a fisa warrant which they're already spying on him already this is the last clip I'm going to play. I'm going to play us out. And like I said, we'll be back in episode uh, 36. Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, it's absolutely insane, this whole story. It's fascinating. Um, thank you guys for listening. Go to the website, uh, share the podcast, and then uh, be back for episode 36. We'll talk to you then.
5: Devin Nunes vowing to take action following this blockbuster New York Times report detailing the FBI's effort to spy on the Trump 2016 presidential campaign. So who were the key players and what questions could the Obama White House face? Joining me now, former assistant director of the FBI's training division, Mark Morgan. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. So, uh, first of all, a couple of weeks back, the Attorney General Bill Barr said under oath before Congress there was spying in the 2016 campaign and there was a collective freakout in Washington. Now, even the New York Times is saying, hmm, yeah, basically there was spying.
12: Right. And it's just a distraction. It's kind of like, is it a physical barrier or a wall? Spying? Okay. So you can call it the use of sensitive, uh, investigative, covert, uh, techniques to further, uh, in a counterintelligence investigation, or you could call it spying. Tomato, tomato. The, the point is the FBI, they have the authority and the, and the legal authority to do just that, to spy, to use covert tactics. That's not the issue. The issue is, was it done appropriately under the legal framework and within the Department of Justice policy? That's the question. That's what Nunes was talking about. That's what Barr talking about that's the oversight. It's correct. So let's go
5: through some of the key players and and understand from you as a former FBI official, how we'll get these answers. Um, George Papadopoulos, of course, was approached by this woman who he says was flirting with him back in 2016 and trying to get information. He felt like maybe it was entrapment. Uh, You see the key players on the screen, James Comey, uh, Andrew McCabe, Peter Strzok. These were some of the folks who were uh, pushing to approve the surveillance, the spying, whatever you want to call it. How do you get to the bottom of exactly what happened.
12: You, you have to bring them in. You, you have to keep talking to him. And, and all those players you just listen are just right. And this is what the American people need to understand. An investigation at this level into a presidential campaign, it absolutely would have gone to the highest levels. That means Jim Comey. Absolutely, and Obama, hands down, McCabe, all the rest of the players, they're key and they've got to be talked to hands down.
5: What about Azra Turk? I met her a moment ago, the woman who approached uh, George Papadopoulos for drinks. Uh, he suggested that she was flirting, that maybe she uh, wanted to entrap him in some way. What do we know about her now and what do we need to do um, you know, collectively to kind of figure out what really happened?
12: So we still don't know a lot about who this individual is for sure. Uh, More than likely than not, it was probably the undercover FBI agent, but the flirting, et cetera, that's not an issue. Um, That's covert operations. That's what a confidential human source does, or that's what an undercover agent does. They try to elicit information again. There's no problem with that. You have to go back to the predication. Was the predication adequate to even start this investigation? What were the motives of these key players that you just listed? Mm -hmm. That's the key. Who did this? Why did this and was there a violation of of the the framework, the legal framework or policies of DOJ? That's what we need to get to and there are serious questions about that.